0: Hello everyone, and welcome to our premiere episode of His Health, the show where we'll be tackling the health issues that are most important to men. I'm your host, Rick Malambri, and we're going inside the topics that men of all ages need to know and taking you out of the comfort zone when it comes to those questions that men don't normally like to ask. So let's jump right into it. Here with me today is Dr. James Kwan, the Medical Director of Urology with Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Kwan is board certified with the American Board of Urology and a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Canada. He's an active member of the Sexual Medicine Society of North America, American Urological Association, Canadian Urological Association, the King County Medical Society, and the only fellowship-trained sexual medicine and prosthetic urologist at Swedish. The His Health Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Providence and Boston Scientific, Today, we wanted to start with the basics of men's health. We'll be discussing what you or the men in your life should expect from an annual checkup, when you should start seeing a urologist, and what health screenings men should be getting at different ages. Remember everyone, many of our questions come from our listeners on social media, and we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence, and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, so let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Kwan. Dr. Kwan, how are you?
1: I'm great, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So, Dr. Kwan, why don't you, in your own words, give us an idea of what you do and uh, everything about yourself?
1: Well, um, I'm a urologist at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, and I've worked there since 2007. Um, I've been in Seattle since 2005, having moved from Canada, where I grew up and did most of my training. Um, I came to the University of Washington uh, in 2005 to do subspecialty training. Um, in urologic trauma and reconstruction, and and while I no longer do trauma work, um, I, I combine the the, the skill set of male genital surgery with my mentorship in men's sexual health, and have a practice focused on men's health and male sexual dysfunction. Um, I'm I feel very privileged to speak on behalf of Providence uh, and Swedish today to the listening audience during Men's Health Month. Um, as a representative of Swedish and an advocate for men's health, um, helping men get uh, the help and access to the health care they need.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, since this is our first episode of His Health podcast, uh, we wanted to start out with the basics of what men need to know to be healthy and stay healthy. And that starts with going to the doctor. So can you tell us um, how often do men need to get regular checkups and is there a certain age where it needs to be more frequent
1: yeah you know i would i would start by saying that men could certainly learn from our female counterparts who have historically done a much better job at health maintenance and prevention um, and and that said, it's important for men to be aware of this because men do have higher rates of smoking, alcohol consumption, uh, suicide attempts, and, and and they're more likely to make unhealthy choices. Um, and mm-hmm. all of these are risk factors for something else. Um, and, and and that said, we, we, we spend a lot of time uh, in the media and otherwise talking about preventative health. And there's this common cord that primary care does not do much Preventative health and and all we do is react and and I've always said that if if we don't see you when you're well, uh, we can't actually prevent disease and and distress and, and 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 so it's important that we see people when they're well uh, for us to do preventative care um, and and I'll add that in this past year with COVID and quarantine, there's this concept of 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 healthcare distancing that's been happening and so so this is a problem that that that's adding and so. So when we only see our doctors for urgent issues, it often distracts from the prevention. Um, The principles of of preventative care are are screening for for conditions that can be a threat to our our health in the long-term, an assessment for those future disease, um, addressing things like lifestyle modification, making sure our vaccinations are up to date. And, And I think probably one of the more important things is developing a partnership with a primary care doctor who, who you can call upon when when one of these acute issues happens. And, and so all of this is to say, don't wait till you're sick. Um, I'm a specialist, but my understanding of, of the primary care guidelines is that most men should probably start seeing a, a, a primary care provider around the age 18 um, and every couple of years thereafter that is unless they have other more complex issues uh, or family histories that suggest that screening for certain conditions start earlier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those, uh, one of those men who, who don't like to go to the doctor until it's something like, you know, something's going on. And, and then I'm like, okay, I need to figure out what that is. So you're, you're absolutely right. I My wife is very much uh, teaching me to be yes. better about my upkeep and my health and and uh, both physically and mentally.
1: And I'm but, the same. Even, even though I know better, doesn't mean I do better for myself. Right, either.
0: right. <laughs> yeah. So what happens at an annual checkup or a wellness exam? It, it's, um, What is the doctor looking for and what kind of questions uh, will they generally ask someone?
1: You know, as I mentioned, I, I am a specialist, um, and, and of course my colleagues who are primary care in family medicine or internal medicine could probably give a, a more thorough answer here, but, but from my own personal experience and training and understanding of the guidelines, I, I, I feel comfortable uh, t- uh, answering in some detail. Um, the types of things that are being screened for is often triggered by the age of a man Um, Young men, 18 to to 40, um, who are seeing their doctor every couple of years are going to be screened for things like blood pressure. Um, If they are overweight, uh, blood testing will be done to screen for for diabetes. Um, The CDC recommends that hepatitis C screening is performed at some point. Um, Mental health is important and and screening for depression uh, should should happen. Men make poor choices and 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 it's important that primary docs are screening for seatbelt use and smoke detectors and then safer sexual practices and 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 having a having a primary care to to do routine STI screening, sexually transmitted infection screening um, is important, as well as obtaining an HPV vaccine if men are aged 19 to 26 if they haven't had um, HPV infection, which causes genital warts. And I've already mentioned the importance of immunizations. Um, And then then routine dental checkups are also important as well. Um, After that, as as men approach 35, uh, my understanding is that's when when cholesterol testing should be initiated. Um, Beyond age 40, uh, we start adding things like colon cancer screening. Recently, I believe the age to initiate colon cancer screening has dropped to age 45. Before that, it was age 50 for normal risk individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, Lung cancer screening is recommended for heavy and and current smokers at age 55. Um, Osteoporosis for older men. Um, Getting back to vaccines. The shingles vaccine is important after age 50. and then something that is near and dear to my heart, something that I know a lot about is prostate cancer screening. And yes. um, you know, this has, has taken some heat over, over the last 10 years or so, uh, but the current recommendation is at age 55, uh, a, a discussion happens between a man and his primary care doctor, uh, a process we called shared decision-making, uh, whether the, the benefits versus the risks of screening Um, are important. And and, and at this point, I'd like to highlight a a couple of populations where I think it's very important to screen actually earlier than age 55. Um, We know that African-American men and um, men whose fathers or brothers have had prostate cancer actually have double the risk of prostate cancer. And so, Mm. so we recommend that they initiate screening in their 40s. Um, and, and this is not always, uh, practiced. And so, so I I think it's important just to, to get that message out there. Um, I make sure that I tell all the men who I diagnose with prostate cancer, that their sons and brothers need to start screening at an earlier age.
0: Absolutely. And so all these, uh, questions and, and, um, screenings that you're talking about, these are all things that you would typically talk to your primary care doctor about
1: yeah usually um you know i'm fortunate that the patients who i see are very well taken care of by family medicine and internal medicine doctors and so usually that's where it starts and 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 there's good data that people who have a primary care doctor who steers the boat versus a a team of just specialists um, mm-hmm. actually live longer lives uh, because they have huh. someone sifting through the details and coordinating all of all of the information for them. And so yeah, absolutely. You got to have a captain of the team.
0: Right. So we often hear about tests and screenings that, you know, women need to get regularly, such as pelvic exams or uh, mammograms. We don't hear as much about that for men that need to get screenings on a regular or annual basis. Can you tell us the most important screenings and tests that men should be getting?
1: yeah you know we've already mentioned things like the cardiovascular health diabetes, sexually transmitted infections. Um, you know, and I think when you ask this question, um, we're asking sometimes about cancer screenings and And so, if we talk about mammograms and pelvic exams, um the comparison for men is is maybe best made with prostate cancer that that we've already mentioned um. I don't want to minimize the importance of colon cancer screening or screening for skin cancer or lung cancers which of course can affect um, both men and women Um, Mm -hmm. but as mentioned uh, a discussion with your primary care or a urologist starting on average at age 55 uh, should happen about the benefits of of doing what's called a PSA blood test and a prostate exam uh, for prostate cancer screening um, as a urologist, I, I think that it's an important part of, of health prevention and taking care of yourself in the long term. Um, a lot of guys uh, also will ask about screening for testicular cancer. Um, and as a survivor myself of testicular cancer, I, I, I think it's important that at least men are aware uh, um, that it commonly occurs in men in their 20s and 40s. Um mm-hmm. That said, at the present time, there is actually no strong recommendation for men to have any particular screening like ultrasounds. And and in fact, there's a recommendation against teaching men to do self-testicular exams. I may be biased. um, And so what I will say is I don't think it hurts to quote unquote get acquainted with what the testicles feel like when they're normal. You know, they're oval shaped and there's some shaggy stuff above and behind it. Um, <laughs> and then reacquaint yourself every four to six weeks um, with what it feels like. And if, and if things change, um, reach out to your primary doctor, get a formal exam. Um, you know, as a urologist, I probably had a better chance to know what I was feeling for and, and knowing if something was abnormal. But had I not checked, I wouldn't have found my answer at the very early stage when I did. Um, yeah. and so that's just me. It's not a guideline. Um, I think people just need need to be aware of that.
0: Gotcha. And so speaking more on to your uh, specific specialty, when should men start seeing a urologist like you on a regular? or do they do they need to?
1: It's, you know, as you ask that question, I'm trying to think of a specific reason. Um, mm-hmm. why they should see a urologist up front. And, and it may just be for a matter of efficiency. Um, most men um, will be, ref- you know, will see us only if there's a problem or if they're referred. And so if we think of a few scenarios where they might see us, um, I think planning for a vasectomy is, is one of those scenarios. Um, uh, possibly family planning where people are working, being worked up for infertility, uh, infertility being something that's a bit more subspecialized, and 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 I don't want to suggest that a primary care provider uh, can't take care of some of these things. Um, I've already mentioned prostate cancer screening and and this unique scenario um, in in younger men where there's a family history or increased risk, such as African American men. Um, there is a, a, a a scenario where where some primary docs may not be aware of that increased risk. And and, and so if someone is with their primary doctor and and that screening isn't happening, I recommend they reach out to a urologist. Um, I think that erectile dysfunction is best managed in the urologist's office. I think that we are best at offering the the many options available to men. Um, And specifically, I think we're also the best people to see for complications of of treatment for prostate cancer, things like impotence and incontinence.
0: Gotcha. I have one for you. I'm actually going to see a urologist for kidney stones. So that's also something that I think uh, that you could probably touch on with uh, as a urologist.
1: Absolutely. You know, um, if you're fortunate to come and see us because it was diagnosed, because you had a scan for another reason, then you've avoided the ER visit. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people get the 12 out of 10 pain, and they have a detour through the ER uh, before they come to see us. But you're absolutely right. We are the we are the gateway. Uh, kidney stones are the gateway to a urologist. And uh, yes, <laughs> hopefully you don't have a a long term relationship with the urologist because of your stones.
0: All right, everyone. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more his health and our expert this week, Dr. Kwan. This season of His Health is sponsored by Boston Scientific. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. And for more information about Boston Scientific, visit bostonscientific.com.
2: I've been waiting for the tides to change, for the waves to send you my way. I see you darling, but you pixelate. It gets hard to take these days. When I'm in a room with you That missing piece
0: His health is back with our guest, Dr. Kwan, and we're discussing what health screenings men need, when to get them, and what to expect from that intimidating first visit to the urologist. So I feel like a lot of men might be wary or seeing a urologist comes off a little uncomfortable to them. If I'm a guy who's never been to a urologist, what should I expect for the first visit or the exam?
1: Well, you know a lot depends on why you've been referred. Um, you know, for example, this year, uh, a lot of people have been seen virtually, and so they've been able to see us from the comfort of their own home and have avoided a lot of the exam. In those situations, we're often just reviewing an x ray and discussing treatment or management. Um, but I will say that we understand um, that. We're often asking men to talk about very personal and sometimes intimate or embarrassing things, um things that they're not used to saying out loud, even to another individual. and 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 what mm-hmm. I would add is 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 we hear these things every day, um, and we're comfortable hearing them, and there's really not much that that men can tell us that we haven't heard. and and so, so my advice is is that men come prepared having thought about their symptoms uh, when they started, what makes them better, what makes them worse, um, treatments that they've tried, um, and then having an understanding about what their priority or goal for treatment is. And and that helps us set a good expectation um, where we can develop a treatment plan. It's the physical exam uh, when we go below the belt that makes men a little bit more uncomfortable. The goal of this is to make sure that there are no lumps, no bumps. And find the source of the pain in the groin or the testicles. Um, I tell men not to worry about, you know, kind of their own anatomy and how they may compare to other men. Uh, we 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 see thousands of, of of men's exam, and this isn't the locker room, and so we're not here to compare. The exam is brief. Um, a prostate exam can be uncomfortable. It is a rectal examination. Um, It Mm -hmm. gives a lot of helpful information, usually reassuring information. Um, I do say that it does cause an urge to urinate. Um, And I will add that often once we've done these exams, uh, we don't need to repeat them um, unless things worsen. And if we need to repeat them, it's often not until a year or so down the road, just as, as we're tracking them to make sure that things haven't changed. And so. So a brief uh, discomfort uh, can give us a lot of reassurance or information to to move us to the next.
0: Step. Absolutely. Gotcha. To go further into those exams, what are the you know commonly performed tests that I would expect uh, to get at a urologist um beyond the you know typical prostate exam or uh the below the belt exam.
1: Yeah. You know, we like to do a urinalysis. And so I tell people to come prepared to pee in a cup. And that's a a good screen for a lot of the things that we see. Um, Mm -hmm. Commonly, we'll ask men to urinate into a funnel that measures the the rate and how fast they urinate. We can scan their bladder with a non-invasive probe um, over the the bladder, the skin of the bladder, to measure how well they empty. Um, blood tests for prostate cancer or hormone tests or kidney function are, are commonly done. Um, we'll test for, for infections in the bladder um, or cells that may look like bladder cancer. Those are common. Um, urologists use a lot of imaging. We, we can't examine kidneys and, 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 and we can't examine deep structures. So ultrasound CAT scans and MRIs are helpful. And yeah. and it's not uncommon for us to need to look inside the bladder. And and the way that we do this is with flexible telescopes, and that's a procedure called cystoscopy. Um, it can be an uncomfortable procedure that causes some burning, some urgency. It usually takes about two to three minutes to do this mm-hmm. procedure, but it can be very helpful to make sure that there's not obstruction like scar tissue or polyps like bladder cancer. And it can also help us assess um, the way that prostate has enlarged, as examples of things we might find, um, and then of course, as specialists, there are a whole host of other tests that that we have that we'll implement in certain scenarios where that information will be necessary to gather.
0: Great, and so these tests that you're speaking of, are they uh, are they typically covered under insurance, and uh, for that matter? Are they all the basic health screenings that we've discussed and covered?
1: Yeah, again, it depends on the test, the insurance, and the diagnosis. But in general, yes. You know, sometimes things like sexual dysfunction and infertility, we have to be careful of, and, and we'll choose certain diagnoses sometimes to help with that. Um, for more expensive things like imaging and some of the specialized testing, we'll we'll usually get authorization before that. Um, my understanding with insurance and health screenings is a lot of plans actually have a schedule or a cadence um, that they recommend or allow, and actually outline what is warranted based on a man's age and medical history um, for their stage of life. And so, 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 it it is in the best interest of insurance companies that that uh, men do their health screening because healthy men cost them less in the long term.
0: Right. <laughs> But you know we hear this joke a lot about the coffin drop test, and it's it's uncomfortable for some men. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about why that test is necessary and why it's performed that way, so that men can understand a little better, and maybe some context will will make it less embarrassing and less uncomfortable.
1: Well, I think I know what you're referring to, and I haven't heard it. Called that exactly. I, I sort of say it's the turn your head and cough part of the exam. Uh, what we're feeling for is a hernia, and that's that's a bulge or a weakening in the groin muscles. Um, as and 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 what can happen is you can get uh, some of the abdominal contents, maybe the fat or the bowel, push into the groin. Um, and 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 I'll tell a funny story that every medical student at some point asks the question, well, which side should they turn the head to, and why, and and the real reason we ask you to turn your head is so that you don't cough on us. Um, and it so it doesn't matter which side you turn your head to, but but by standing there, we will pass our finger from the scrotum up to the pubic bone, um, where where the groin hernia can happen and get you to cough or push down. And if we feel a bulge, um, then we might find or suggest a hernia there. and and so that's what we're looking for. Um, it can cause groin pain. It can cause swelling in the groin. Um, and so it's important that we, that we find that.
0: Gotcha. But so you heard it here, yeah, turn cough. away from your doctor when you cough.
1: <laughs> yes. Left right. Doesn't matter. Look up, I guess with masks now it it's, it's less of an issue, right?
0: Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's lay it all out on the line here and, and make sure that men feel comfortable going into their doctor and getting these checkups. What are some questions that men might be embarrassed to ask in an exam that might be something that's more common than they realize or has a, an easy treatment or solution that they shouldn't be embarrassed to ask about?
1: Well, as I said before, most of what you can tell us or ask us about, we've heard before. And so it's unlikely you're going to phase us. And And if you're unsure, just ask us. You know, I speak with men every day about getting and maintaining erections, penises that get bent or broken, um, penile pain, premature ejaculation, difficulty having an orgasm, low sex drive, low testosterone, low sperm count, um, wetting the bed, leakage, painful sexual activity, um, foreskins that are too tight, too much skin on their penis, cosmetic concerns, um, things like vasectomies wanting to have their vasectomies reversed um, and so you know the list is long and and, and I'm, I'm sure I've missed many things mm-hmm. um, but it's rare that we can't offer some uh, shed some light to alleviate the anxiety at least to to sort of move people along and, and improve their quality of life uh, with some often very simple solutions to fix these problems
0: yeah, it absolutely sounds like there's a lot of uh a lot of concerns that people have that are actually quite normal. Absolutely. Are there Absolutely. any self-tests that men should be performing in between wellness exams?
1: Well, we've already touched a bit upon it and, and and it's the testicle exam. And like I said, there's no formal recommendation. In fact, the recommendation is to not do self-testicle exam. Um, and again, my bias is that you should get acquainted Um, and and so what I say is the next time you're at your primary doctor and they do the exam use that as your baseline for normal for the next four or five days in the shower examine the testicle to remind yourself or get a mental picture of the shape and and then in four to six weeks do that again if it changes um, there's no need to panic see your doctor again and and I can reassure you that most of the changes that you're going to feel are actually benign. Um, they're usually not cancer. You're going to feel changes because you get better at feeling, um, you know, small things in, in, in the scrotum. And so, mm-hmm. so, so I, I, I think it's worth it. It helped me, um, find my testicular cancer at an earlier stage. So no formal recommendation, just, just yeah. it's worth it.
0: Yeah. So, uh while we are getting to the end of our very first episode of his health uh, is there any anything else that you'd like to let our audience know about getting their checkups and health screenings and that we haven't already discussed
1: you know i i will add that uh, yeah i i think that there's been a lot of hesitation um in the last 15 months because of covid um, hesitation that people have um, you know, distanced themselves from taking care of some of these things and um, have been uncertain about reaching out to their primary care, uncertain about using the tools um, like virtual medicine, um, video visiting with their doc. Um, and and as, uh, uh, as a doc, I was hesitant to use these means as well. And, and I can say that they're not ideal but, I can say that they work very well as a way to initiate um, and engage in, and in some ways, I think that they're more effective than the in person. and so so so, I think that just simply taking that first step if you haven't, or reengaging if you've distanced this past year, or just you know putting it on your calendar um, and 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 keeping the the engagement going so that if if stuff hits the fan at some point, and there's really an acute episode, um, men have that person who can take care of them, whether it's a physical or a mental health issue that creeps up. They've got a partner who's who's there, who knows them, who can help them through that that issue. Absolutely. You know, because, yeah. because it matters. And, and it matters to the people in their life as well.
0: Yes. So uh, we have a couple of uh, social questions that um, people have mm-hmm. written in about. And... Uh, for you to answer. Mike from Twitter asks, I'm embarrassed to admit I've had some incontinence issues. My doctor referred me to a urologist and suggested that I could have pelvic floor issues. Isn't that an issue that only applies to women?
1: Well, incontinence can happen to anyone. And um, I don't know how old Mike is. um, So there's lots of reasons that that could happen. But Traditionally, we thought of pelvic floor physical therapy as something for women, um, what we uh, have often called leaky ladies. And the typical scenario was women who had had childbirth. Um, their sphincter muscles got weak. Um, and so they saw physical therapists. And And that practice was essentially the tip of the iceberg. And, um, and I will say that pelvic floor physical therapy for men is an essential tool in my practice. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the only thing that will help us resolve issues like incontinence, especially after prostate removal in men, or or in conditions of pelvic and groin pain that we can't resolve with anti- antibiotics or anti-inflammatories. Um, mm. I think that finding a good pelvic floor physical therapist for men is 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 a bit challenging because most pelvic floor PTs get there because they're interested in treating women. Um, and so it may take a little trial and error. It may take one or two, uh, therapists before, before men find that person, but, but finding an excellent PT is, is magic and, and, and they can change lives. And I believe that strongly.
0: All right. One more question. Joe from Instagram asks, I saw an article saying men who had COVID-19 might have a higher rate of erectile dysfunction in the future. Could that be possible?
1: It's um it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think covid nineteen presents a lot of possibilities for a lot of conditions, and erectile dysfunction is one and and I think the jury's still out. Um, I think I know the study you're referring to, and i I would say that it's a bit more of an observational study, and it it poses a couple of different hypotheses about why covid nineteen virus might be a factor um it's small. It, it was a paper where there were a couple of men who had been infected and developed erectile dysfunction uh, afterwards, and and they biopsied those men's um, erectile tissue from their penis and compared it to normal tissue um, through, through molecular testing and, and electron microscopy. And what I will say is that getting an erection is a vascular event um, and the blood flow is important. And and we know that COVID infects cells by taking advantage of vascular um, functions, and 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 it is it affects the vascular functions of cells. And so, so the hypothesis was in these two men that it because it's vascular, it may have a, impacted their erections. Um, mm-hmm. What they found was that there was evidence of virus in the penile tissue. As well, there was evidence of less activity of the enzymes that are helpful to good erections, meaning when the virus was present, it turned down um, the amount of enzyme that makes erections happen. And so so it is possible or it's suggestive that there may have been an impact on function. Uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to see if over the next several years, a new population of men emerges um, that we haven't seen before, maybe younger men or men without risk factors that we think are typical for erectile dysfunction. And I think what's also going to be interesting is if they respond in the same way to the same treatments that we currently use for for more garden variety erectile dysfunction. Um, But the jury's out, and and I think there's more information. uh, And we're going to talk about this for decades.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, I think that about wraps up our first episode of His Health. I want to take a moment to thank Dr. Kwan, our friends at Boston Scientific for sponsoring this show, and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to continuing the conversation on men's health with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow us on social media, where we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. Thank you for listening, and be healthy.